for EdmontonOilers.com. You're listening to Oilers In-Depth, the podcast, with your hosts, Kate Pedersen and Tony Brar. Hey, Oilers fans, welcome to this edition of Oilers In-Depth, the podcast. I'm Kate Pedersen, joined by my co-host, Tony Brar, and we are Still hanging out at home, but we are finding ways to make things work. I think that's the the way to go. And I think we could call this podcast and chill. Yeah, podcast and chill is right. Because Kate, I am literally recording from my bed. I'm in my bedroom and I am... I shouldn't say laying down because I'm kind of sitting up on my bed. But I'm literally chilling in my bed I'm recording this podcast, so uh, Oil Country, this is what's going on. Uh, Kate and I both have audio instruments called the Zoom at each of our places. We have a mic hook up to it, and then we are on the phone right now. So Kate Pedersen's on my headphones, and I'm on her headphones, and we're recording the podcast at the exact same time, but still getting it done and staying safe, but... Kate, I know you're not chilling at your place alone. I know there's a couple of visitors in your place. Uh, Why don't you share with Oil Country with what's going on at your place? I don't want to jinx it because (laughs) they are both sleeping. I can see them Uh in their little playroom. (laughs) But you know what? I love animals. I had them growing up. We had dogs. We had a guinea pig. We had cats. You name it. And I'm a big horse person. So it was only fitting that since my career doesn't really allow me to have a pet just because our hours are so crazy and there's travel and it wouldn't be fair to the animal. Yeah, that's right. I have decided to foster. So I am fostering not one, but two eight-week-old puppies. They turned eight weeks old on Thursday. So I have two And this would be a really great time to shout out single parents because, wow, it is. (laughs) It's a lot of work. First of all, this this is for you. That's for you right there. Oh, thank you. That's amazing. I was going to give you the credit for podcasting from bed, whereas I feel like (laughs) I lost by sitting in my kitchen. But you know what? They are the absolute cutest little monkeys I'm not thrilled at 6 a.m. when they're like (laughs) running rampant because I am not a morning person. We do a lot of our work at night, which works for my own sleep schedule. But I'm adjusting and I've been lonely. I've been, you know, playing a little golf in my living room. But other than that, it gets a little redundant in isolation. So now I have Wayne and Parker. Wayne and Parker. Okay, so I'm going to go out on a limb and say Wayne was named after the great one himself. He was. Okay, see? Look at that. Look at that. I got it. There's one point. That's probably the only point I'll get all week in anything. I thought it would be fitting because maybe, maybe, maybe someone in oil country will adopt him because in two weeks' time, they're still living with me, but they are available for adoption once they're 10 weeks. So if you're listening and you're looking for a pup, they are the sweetest, sweetest puppies. And Parker, so, how'd you get? How'd you land on Parker? I don't know. You know, I put the name in the group chat with my family, and naturally, my family shout out great people. And uh, you know what? Uh, my aunt's neighbor threw it in the group chat because they must have been hanging out, 
And I, I thought, you know what? A really cool unisex name. And she's so sweet. She, they, they're both like, when they get tired, they're like little koalas and they curl up <laughs> on your chest on the couch and just get in the nook of your neck. And it is just like, it makes you feel better for when they're wide awake at 6 a.m. And you're like, why did I do this? <laughs> so it's well, great. Well, sleep- you have your family at home. Yeah. You get I, yeah. friends all the time. I'm by myself. Yeah, I feel you 100%. Definitely super exciting news in the Pedersen uh, household. And can't wait to meet Parker and Wayne if I ever get the chance to, because I obviously know that uh, they're only there for a few weeks to a month or so. But I've seen the pictures and man, they're adorable. They are. I'm a little biased. <laughs> Just a little bit. But I did, I did have to do some work in the closet today because they... You know, puppy sounds. So we're trying to keep it, you know, but they're sleeping right now. So this is a perfect time to podcast. And and I'm really excited about this one. We kind of teased it last week. Yeah, this was going to be a good one. This is great. Yeah, obviously I'm new to Edmonton and new to the Oilers. And being so involved on the community side, I've had the chance to work with a lot of alumni. We go to events and I'm just thoroughly impressed with how involved they are in the community. They do everything. It's it's amazing because I think a lot of people, especially Oilers players, once they get ingrained into a community, you can sense the attachment between themselves and the community and how they'll always say, once an Oiler, forever an Oiler. And I know that's a, that's a slogan that's tossed around uh, Rogers Place and, and the Oilers Entertainment Group with a lot of respect because there's a lot of pride that goes into wearing the blue and orange. But one guy, Kate, who wore the copper and blue was goaltender Dwayne Rolison. And that's where we're going to kick off this podcast, this best of Oilers alumni podcast, because all of oil country will remember Mr. Rolison as the starting netminder for the entirety of the 06 playoff run leading up to game two of the Stanley Cup Finals. Obviously in game one, he tore his ACL and he could no longer play. A magical run which ended in game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. It's one that oil country looks at fondly. And here is Dwayne Rolison starting us off talking about the playoff run. First round, you guys take down the President Trophy Detroit Red Wings. At what point, Dwayne, did you feel like, you know what, I think this team has a real shot to go all the way? I think about four or five games left in the regular season. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, probably a little bit before that, uh, you know, we're coming, we're pushing pretty hard to make the playoffs, and obviously we clinched the second last game that year. But just um, from when I got traded here, then there was a couple other additions after me and just how close this team was. And playing on some close teams and understanding what closeness means, I had a good good feeling, and I think everyone in the locker room had a good feeling. Just get in the playoffs. That's all we want to do. Just get there. Once we're there, we'll be fine. And, yeah. and I think the whole belief with the whole team was was not in the playoffs. It was before that. Yeah. It, was, it was before when we started our push, when we started our run. We knew we could do something special then. <laughs> You were a relatively newcomer on the team, so you talked about how close you guys were. It was easy to gel with those guys in the locker room. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, still to this day, I think he was one of the best leaders I ever played with is Jason Smith. And, yeah. Um, great. I'm so happy to see him up in Prince George again, coaching, um, doing doing something that he loves to do. And I had a chance to see him here last weekend, so good to catch up. But, you know, he, he was uh, – 
the glue for that for our team. He kept everyone close. We did a lot of stuff together. We, you know, and part of, part of that is the culture here in in Edmonton oil, oil land. It's just everyone's so close. You know, the alumni guys. The you know they come in and they're they're hanging out with us and talking to us. And it was that's that's what makes this organization special. And it, it's great. Uh, and coming in, it was like open doors. We're doing this. We're Everyone was together all the time, and the wives hung out. It was it was a great organization to be a part of. Let's talk about the current Oilers right now. They got a little bit of a goaltending situation, 1A, 1B, it looks like, to start the season with Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith. You were involved like that. How tough is it in terms of balancing the competitiveness of wanting to be in the crease but also being there for your teammate and supporting him throughout? The, like, what kind of challenges are there, really, in, in that kind of dynamic? Well, yeah. Maybe because I'm so old, <laughs> I played with both of them. <laughs> so, so Miko was in uh, with the Islanders organization right. when I was there, and That's right. and Smitty was in Tampa with me. So, um, knowing them both really well, it's going to be you know, and that's just part of what goalies do, anyways. There's usually just two of us, and we both want the net and we want to play, and just being a good team guy, and that's what they both are, and they both want to play, and they both want to prove that they're the guy. Um, so, but it's, it's a, it's a friendship, uh, cliche as it is, union dues and all that stuff. Everyone respects one another, but we're there to push each other to make each other better. Well, Tony, it's great to get, I love getting the intel. I find oh, it's the amazing. alumni are just so, there's no filter, right? They're not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're not really answering to anyone and, and coming up, we'll have a real, real no filter taste for you, but I love getting their insight into dynamics in the dressing room that yeah. that we don't always get to see or often don't get to see at all. Yeah. So we talked, I know in our last best of about the goaltending duo down in Bakersfield. We've got another tandem up here with the big club. Yep. Pretty cool to get some some of that insider perspective from someone who experienced it firsthand. And it's amazing too because it's someone who means so much to this Oilers community and truthfully in hindsight he wasn't really here all that long. I think a lot of people think when Dwayne Rolson played for the Oilers he was this long time great but he was actually only here for a few years yet the impact he made was incredible i mean obviously that 06 playoff run which started off the last clip uh, uh, but i like what you say uh, kate and it's very true there's almost no filter between the player once he retires and the rest of the media in this case ourselves they just let it flow and speaking of flow this next guy kate unreal oh, you nailed flow. it unreal flow one of the that was the like butter rolling into <laughs> that one. Just laid it out, put the butter on the bread. <laughs> and I was going to circle back and say another guy who has made a big impact after his playing career, but actually only spent a few years playing for Edmonton. Yep. And he has great flow. Great flow. Jason Strudwick. What a guy. What a guy. What an absolute yeah. beauty. Yeah. I've done a lot of community events with him. If you check out edmontonhoilers.com, go back and look at some of our videos with him. He's hysterical. We put on those drunk driving simulation <laughs> suits and had a time. And you know what? The one thing that, you know, maybe not everyone knows about, and we've done a few videos on it this year, is he's involved in the First Shift program. His kids both play hockey in Edmonton, and he's just so instrumental in 
expanding the game and getting more kids involved, expanding their opportunities. So he is one of the champions of the First Shift program. And that is like Sunday morning at the crack of dawn. He is at the downtown community arena. And if you get the chance to watch him out there, his vibrant personality, his energy, and it's just so fun to watch. The kids yeah. love him. Always Absolutely has a smile on his face love him. Always has 100%. Smile. 100%. And then when you get him one-on-one for a podcast, and this was my first one. I jumped in cold turkey, <laughs> Han Solo with Strud's, and they were like, you know, you'll, you'll be okay. He's a great guy. And not a word of a lie. He was fantastic. Absolutely no filter. And uh, he also was really genuine about the fact that he got the opportunity and got to come back and play in his hometown. And uh, he tells us a little bit about life after hockey and how all of this evolved. So here it is. The best of Jason Strudwick. Full circle, coming back to Edmonton after playing in cities in North America and in Europe, was that something you'd always known you were going to do? No, you know what? I actually, I had hoped I'd be drafted by the Oilers. Um, you know, I was local and I, my agent thought maybe it might happen, but they went a different direction and that's, you know, it's fine. It still hurts though, but you know, it's still, it's fine. When I got to play, I, I, I wanted to go and I played in amazing cities and, you know, I didn't want to stand like cup, but I had some amazing experiences. And I remember when I, um, was going to sign back to the Oilers. I got a phone call. I was at the track, the horse track with my buddies. And so my agent calls like, yeah, the Oilers want to sign you. I'm like, done, let's do it. So I called my mom and dad and I said, hey, you know, do you guys want to split order season tickets next year? And they're like, well, why would you do that? I'm like, well, because you're going to be watching me, you know, every night. And they were just jacked. And to come home and then for three years, I'll share that NHL experience with my friends because I tell them about, but they never saw it. Like they never came to the room or my family. They never saw it. And they got to meet other NHL guys. It was, it was unbelievable. And then yeah. I was able also to have a, a pretty decent impact on the community when I was playing too. It's easier when you're from the city because you know everybody or everyone, you know, and everyone knows you, but you don't know anyone in other cities. So I was able to help out in different ways. And I, I couldn't have been happier, even though we'd have a lot of success as a team. Individually, it was an amazing, amazing experience. How about playing in Europe? What that adjustment yeah. was like for you? I loved, you know, I, I, I was very lucky playing in the NHL, but my European time was some of my best experiences. Um, you know, I played in Switzerland for a year and uh, in Lugano. It was kind of like Kelowna, but right beside the mountains. And there it was incredible. Like the people um, were so friendly and uh, I, I can speak French. I went to French immersion. And so when I was there, I learned to speak Italian as well or tried. So, you know, about halfway through the year, I'm like, hey, I'm going to call this restaurant to make a um, reservation in, in, you know, in Italian. So I called her and I'm like, you know, whatever, blah, 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 in Italian, like, can I get a reservation? And the guy answers back in Italian, like, I don't understand. And I'm like, oh, uh, you know, pas a problem. Like I speak French. So I start in French. I'm like, hey, hey, blah, 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 blah. Uh, can I get a whatever in French? I say to the guy, he's like, in French, he says again, I'm like, uh, he goes, I can't understand you. He's like, in English, he goes, do you speak English? I'm like, yes, I do. And uh, <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Could you repeat those today? Like, yeah. do you think you know it? Uh, well, I, I don't remember the Italian, but I remember like, so it's so funny. I'm trying to speak in Italian, French. And this guy's like, do you speak English? I'm like, yeah, uh, Stradwick Reservation for two. You know, it was so <laughs> embarrassing and I had to go in there I was like oh my god but um like it was an amazing place and we had so much fun and in my backyard like there were cows uh with bells walking around like it was so much fun and then you know Hungary was good there was a lockout and I played there for two months with my cousin Rob and just much different experience much different people very friendly the food was amazing Hungary um but it was and then after my last year in Edmonton, we went to Sweden and the people there were amazing we had a lot of friends there already when we arrived and yeah I 
the European, like I always tell guys when you're done playing, wherever you're done playing, just go over to Europe. And it's an amazing experience for everyone. I wish my kids would have been around that. Uh, my two oldest were like six months old when we went to Sweden, so they don't have much of a memory of that. After our first game, I remember in Sweden, we were all jacked up with the time change. And my son, Kane, we decided we, uh, it was, we were messed up. It was like 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, I'm just going to take him for a walk, give my wife a break. So I walk into this bar. I'm like, God, I'd love to have a beer. And I walk in. I'm like, excuse me, can I just grab a beer to go? He's like, no, no problem. You can just come in. I'm like, yeah, but I have my son in a carriage. Like, no, no, that's no problem in here. So he comes in. So my son comes up to the bar. I just push him up there. And he, he's just sitting there having a bottle. And I'm just having a beer, looking at it around. And people are like, hey, good game tonight. I'm like, thanks. Nice to see everyone here. Like, it was so normal because a much different way. Like, that would never happen here. But like, it's such a good memory that I have with my son. But he was like eight months old, so he, he, won't, he won't remember it. But uh, yeah, the European experiences were amazing, amazing. Another tough task is, is then wrapping up that playing career and mm-hmm. trying to find your place after a long period of time with your identity in yeah. hockey afterwards. But it kind of sounds like you've done a similar thing in keeping yourself busy with alumni, with mm-hmm. your broadcast career. And, and of course, you mentioned your kids and how busy you stay keeping them in sports. What was the biggest adjustment to that? You know, when I was finally done, like my career, I wasn't uh, like an elite player. I was, you know, probably in the bottom half of the of the league. And, uh, well, not probably, I was. Um, but uh, thanks for correcting me, though. That was nice. You said, no, no, you were good. Uh, no, but I, I was, I, and so every year, every game, every practice, I had to try my hardest. So when I finally was like done, I felt like I'd finally like take a deep breath. And the one regret I have is I don't think I really enjoyed being in the NHL as much as I should have because I was always trying so hard, every practice, every game. And then it was just over. And I took a deep breath. I was like, okay, I'm done. Now it's something else. And I got really good advice from Rob Brown. Uh, he played in the NHL for a while. He's like, you don't have to find something that you're going to do for the rest of your life, but find something you can do now. So I got into coaching hockey at a couple schools. And he's also said, say yes to everything. To everything. If anyone asks you anything, just say, yeah, I'll do that. And I've done that. And I've done some crazy things. Like since I've retired, I've been to uh, China to coach hockey. I've coached hockey all over Alberta, done speaking engagements. Like now I'm on the media, like all these different things, right? And it's been amazing to have that happen. Um, but it was because I said yes and been very open to opportunities. And um, you know, I'm really happy with what I'm doing. I'm very lucky. Um, I think that having my kids after my career helped a lot because you are you don't have time to sit around and think, well, man, I'm better than this guy or that guy. I was just too tired. I'm like, I'm not better than him and I'm tired. So there's no way I'm coming back. So my transition has been very easy. I think playing at the end of my career in Edmonton helped a lot. Um, just to settle in and know this is what life is like in, in a city. And, and um, so I've been really, I've been very fortunate, really, really lucky. <laughs> Always a character and used to wear the number 43 for the Edmonton Oilers, Jason Strudwick. Man, Kate, you could just feel his energy even through the headphones. Like, it is amazing. I love that guy. I love his energy. Uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting him a few times. Great flow as well. Uh, Struddy, you better be paying up a little bit uh, because we're talking a lot of your hair and we're talking nothing but positives. But uh, speaking of great hair, you know who has underrated hair, Kate? Louis DeBrusque. He spent the summer kind of growing out his hair, and now he has it mopped over to the right a little bit. It looks great on him. And Kevin Quinn's such a beauty. He's got luscious hair all the time. I remember one time I said, Kevin, that's an unbelievable haircut. He's like, Tony, I cut my hair four weeks ago. I'm like, what? Does it always (laughs) look that good? Like, I I was so confused. I was like, 
man, is he always looking that sharp? But uh, uh, just as good as they look, they're also as talented in the broadcasting booth. Uh, but Kate, if I'm not mistaken, before we head into this Kevin Quinn and Louis DeBrus clip, don't you owe them a little something something before you even met them? Because we told them they were getting paid for this, and I said Kate Pedersen was the one that was going to pay up. Talk about being mean to the rookie. (laughs) I'm at the gym on the elliptical. You guys are on the road. You record the podcast. It comes out, and I'm like, oh, you know, I should probably listen to this podcast. Firing it up, doing my cardio, and all of a sudden, I'm on the hook to pay (laughs) these two guys for their appearance because apparently that's how it worked out. And I'm like, I haven't even met them. But you know what? Since meeting them, and Louie was actually my seat buddy on the road for the uh, the last road trip. So it's funny because that interview, when he got to interview his son Jake on the bench, was incredible. It was, was just amazing. all the feels. It was so cute. But he did reference not having to hear Louie's hunting stories. <laughs> I know every detail of how... Louis hunts, what he does, how he does certain things, what he's caught, killed. I guess you have to use the bad word, but I know every single detail from the road trip to Nashville, Dallas, and Chicago. I know it all. He is such a character, too. He is such a funny guy. He's so funny to travel with. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we always spend time on the road together in terms of going for dinner, and, and he's the one that's always cracking out the stories and and the old playing days, so... Oh, they're great. They're just... Even KQ, they're yeah. just... Oh, man. You know, they, they've got great stories. It is really, honestly, and I'm not, I'm not just saying that because we have to work with them, especially when we get back to playing hockey. Yeah. But uh, they're just great guys to be around. Like, it is is truly a privilege to get to work with them and hang out with them because, yeah. as you mentioned, they're equally talented, but they are just genuine guys who just want to talk shop or talk hunting KQ loves cars. He loves his cars. I was just about to say that he loves his automobiles. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is incredible. Every time, uh, every time there's an automobile uh, museum or exhibit, uh, he'll always make time to go see that, which is kind of cool. I mean, uh, Hey, if you have your forte, you have your forte. And I remember one time even just talking to him about cars and like my mind was blown with how much he knew about them. Like it was it was literally mind-blowing, Kate. It was, it was very impressive. But uh, obviously, they are the play-by-play and color commentator for Sportsnet. And they actually talk about how they got into the sports broadcasting world. Obviously, Louis DeBrusque was a former player. Kevin Quinn uh, was brought in in the old junior days uh, back when he was uh, covering uh, the OHL. They talk about their chemistry in the booth and also their iconic calls. You won't want to miss that. So without further ado... Here are Kevin Quinn and Louis DeBrusque. Well, you talked about uh, early rising. Let's talk about the rise of your guys' careers uh, because you guys are obviously now calling games on Sportsnet for for the Edmonton Oilers. And just maybe, uh, Louis, maybe we'll start with you because yours is obviously a pretty unique path that you're a former NHL player. Uh, what did that kind of look like, uh, that, that transition for you? You know, it's it's interesting because it kind of fell into my lap, so to speak, but you know, it, was, it wasn't something that I thought about during my playing career. I was trying some different hats on, some different avenues, and figuring out what I was going to do after the game. And one of the things was I was actually going through the recruitment process to potentially be a firefighter in Edmonton. Um, you know, also did a couple of other things on the side. But 
at the time, the Edmonton Oilers farm team was playing in Edmonton that year. That was the lockout year, and they were playing the AHL season was in Edmonton. The Edmonton Roadrunners. Yeah, the Edmonton Roadrunners. Right. And they were looking for a guy to do some home games on the broadcast. So Morley Scott actually contacted me and said, hey, you should call Alan Watt and see if you can get this job. Now, they had just hired Rob Brown, so I talked to Alan. He said, hey, listen, sorry. You know what? Uh, we just hired Rob, and you know, good luck to you. Maybe something down the road. We'll see what happens. And that was the first thought I ever had of maybe getting into the booth and doing broadcasting. It wasn't a week later, I got a call from Rich Nairn from the Phoenix Coyotes, a team in which I played three years in. And, you know, director of public relations at the time, he called me up and I thought he had mail for me or something. I'm like, you've got some mail for me that you're trying to find out where I am now. Because the mail always seems to chase you around when you go from team to team. And he goes, well, there might be some mail, but that's not why I'm calling. I'm actually calling because we want to split up our simulcast and have a designated radio team and a designated TV team on the broadcast. And your name came up to potentially do color. And I said, geez, that's funny. Because I just literally called a week ago to see if I could get on board here in Edmonton. And, you know, you realize I've never done this before. And he goes, yes, we want an ex-player to come into the booth and do it. We already have the play-by-play man. Bob Heathouse has already been hired. He's the guy that's going to do it. So I flew down, did an audition, and... I got the job. You know, that's how it started. It was, you know, I always liked talking. I always liked talking in interviews. I never had a problem getting in front of a microphone and speaking. I always loved talking about the game. And it was just kind of a match made for me, I think. I stepped in there and right away, it just felt like the right place to be for me. And, you know, and I did that for three years. And then when, when Ray Ferrer moved over to uh, TSN, I uh, ended up taking that job. You know, wow. from him, he was, uh, he left a vacant big hole there and I, I jumped in and, and did the uh, broadcast with Kevin. That's yeah. how I met Kevin and started doing it with the Sportsnet. That's right, Kevin. So you were calling the Edmonton Roadrunners as well, but what kind of led you through through your path? Because you had a similar path of an NHL player and Louis DeBrusque in terms of calling some junior games first and then getting some reps in the minors and then eventually the show. It all started out with a desire to be, have a degree in biology. So I went to the University of Western Ontario to take biology, and that was too hard. Uh, so I got a three-year degree in psychology. Remember he said three-year degree. Yeah. I don't even think they have three-year degrees. In it. I don't think they even give them out anymore. So I grew up in Toronto, so I came back to Toronto, and I was living in Scarborough, and I started volunteering at the cable company, Cable 10. And uh, did everything. I mean, I was shooting, I was editing, I was presenting behind the desk, I was doing all that stuff. And then they got a mobile, started doing Junior B Hockey, Wexford Raiders. Anson Carter played on that team. Um, And so we started doing games. And that's when I decided, do you want to do news? Do you want to do sports? And play-by-play was the thing I wanted to do. I was always that guy when you... uh, you're playing in the, in the hallway or you're playing on the road. I was always the guy going, he shoots, he scores. So it just seemed like a natural thing to do. And then I went up to uh, Barrie, Ontario, did, did sports casting there. They started doing an OHL game of the week. I started doing Barry Colts games. And then we did a game of the week in London. We went to Windsor. We were, uh, you know, all over Ontario. And then Sportsnet uh, began in 1998. I joined them. I was behind the desk. Uh, working till 2 a.m. when we did the Pacific shows, and that was also OHL and also the Memorial Cup. So I did five Memorial Cups. And then uh, Jim Robson in Vancouver retired and opened up a spot in Vancouver. I came out, I did Canucks games, I did Flames games, and then I got traded to Edmonton. 
But uh, speaking of chemistry, how do you guys develop that rapport together? How do you guys develop that chemistry together? Is it just a matter of just working through more games and getting more experience in real real I, life situations? I think so. I think it's uh, repetitions for sure, but also communication. You know, I think we, we talk a lot of stuff out. And when you, when you sit in there, it's in between, you know, commercial breaks and before games, morning skates. We're always sitting together chatting about what we're going to say. You're almost rehearsing and you don't even know it. You're kind of breaking down some ideas that you might want to speak about that night. And that just plants a seed for when it does come up, boom, you've already kind of talked about that a little bit so that you already know what direction you're going to go. Um, but like I said, he's pretty easy to work with. And, you know, for me, it was, it was pretty comfortable right out of the gates getting in the booth. And, you know, when you're, you're side by side, you can't have that sort of communication you, you know sometimes guys will touch guys or you know bob cole will give louis the heisman and it's like <laughs> <laughs> but it changes when i never got a full heisman no just a half, half heisman, heisman. Okay. you know it was like i could feel the hand coming up and i was like okay i need to cut this off right now but that changes when louis between the benches you know it changes yeah, that dynamic it's a different because dynamic you, for sure. you don't get that eye contact but you know the first time we we worked together that way i thought oh okay now how is this going to work because mm-hmm. you know you're so far away but it just flows. It is that situation like when you're with a line mate, you know where he's going to be, you know where he expects him to be, and I, Louis knows when the gaps come with me. I know when Louis wants a point to be made, and uh, it, uh, bottom line, it's reps. It's yep. flight hours. It's, it's doing it over and over again, and uh, I think that's where you build that chemistry. It's true. You know, you kind of know tendencies too. I know when he's going to maybe let up a little bit. He'll kind of just give me that little bit of a second. If I have something I want to say, I'll jump in. You have to be ready for that opening to jump in there at that time, Yeah. yeah. especially when you're up and down and you're not beside each other. But I do remember at the old Rexall place, this is kind of a funny story. So I get into the booth, and the booth was kind of an afterthought at the Coliseum slash Rexall place. And I go in there and there was this piece of tape Absolutely. that run that was running down yeah. and it was like the line of this is how much room I need. So before Kevin got up there, I took the tape off yeah. and moved it over about <laughs> six, eight inches to give myself a little bit of room. That's and then I wrote on, don't even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and it stayed there for how many years? Oh, it was no. there for six years. Yeah. It never moved. It was yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> So I got a question for you. Whenever a game goes into overtime, are you like Dracula in the corner rubbing your hands together? Are you ready to, you're getting, getting ready to go? You know what? It's one of those things, you know, when, when hmm, guys uh, talk about those iconic calls, touch them all, Joe, you know, you'll never hit another, a bigger home run in your life or, you know, things like that. Great call. I don't think you can script it. I honestly yeah. believe it has to happen. And overtime winner was something that just happened. I don't, I honestly don't think about it. You know, it's funny because anytime in a big situation in the last few years that I've done playoffs too with Dave Randorf and with Kevin, like when it's going into overtime, I know it's going to be a big call. I know it's okay. You know what? This is going to be a big moment in this game. I always kind of like write a little message or give a little poke in the commercial and go, you know, I want to hear you lose it on this one. <laughs> you know what? Like, you better, you better snap when this goal happens because I want to hear, you know what? Don't hold anything back. I love that. You know, that's what it's all about for me. 100%. I love that. You know, I just, you know, and I sit back when that goal goes in, I just sit and I just, and I'm listening like everybody else waiting. Okay, let's hear it. Well, we talked about it before. They check a lot of boxes. We're pumping their tires. Great flow well-dressed, nice guys. And as you heard from that conversation, their chemistry, their calls, all of the above, top-tier broadcasters. And we get the luxury of having them here in Edmonton, which is pretty, pretty awesome. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing uh, because obviously, Kate, uh, uh, we get to know them on a personal level, so it just makes us love them even that much more. But even if you don't know them personally, uh, you just have to be a fan of the work they do for Sportsnet. And uh, we truly are lucky in oil country to be listening to those two very, very frequently as lo- alongside Drew Remenda and Gene Principe, who are all great people at heart. Just a handful of gems. And this whole thing is gems. We're, this is the best of the alumni. They're all gems. Yeah. That kind of tees up our next guest because when we're on the road, you know how it is. It's busy. You get to a city, you try to you know, acclimatize, get ready to go, and it's just like on to the next opponent as you're moving on these road trips. So when we got the chance to talk to Bill Ranford, I was floored at his generosity with his time because we sat down with him for quite a while. The PR person left him at the rink. He was like, no, no, I'm fine. I'll, I'll get back to the hotel on my own. Don't worry about it. So generous with his time. Now, of course, the goaltending coach with the LA Kings for 14 seasons, along with a 15-year playing career, he's got a wealth of knowledge on the coaching side, which was so neat to hear about, but incredibly generous. I think, you know, they embrace the the Edmonton Oilers culture and they're so generous with their time when they're finished playing hockey. You know what the best thing about that is, is obviously it was a game day, but he was actually in net. Uh, for the LA Kings during that morning skate because I think Jonathan Quick had the optional so Billy Ranford strapped up the old pads and went in net so he was he was probably also pretty tired too so even a bigger kudos to him for doing that obviously oil country remembering Ranford for helping the Oilers win the 1990 Stanley Cup and being the Conn Smythe winner as playoff MVP, Kate. Yeah, he got to come to Edmonton in 1987, and uh, he talked a little bit about playing at the old rink versus his experience coming into the new facility, which has been a hot topic over the last few years when people first get to experience the beauty of Rogers Place and, and all that it has to offer. So we got the chance to talk about a lot of stuff, but as you mentioned, that 1990 Stanley Cup run was pretty cool. So here's Bill Ranford talking about all of the above. But let's go back to Bill Ranford in 1988 when he got the call that he got traded to Edmonton. What was your first reaction and where were you? I was, I think we were in Aurora or something because we were in Ontario at the time on the road. I was with the main Mariners at the time. And, yeah. you know, I was supposed to be the goalie of the future for uh, Boston and that ended real quick. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, you're going into a situation where Grant Fuhrer was playing 60 plus games every year. And I was like, Ugh, I don't know how much that future looks for me. And, um, you know, I just, I just kind of went about my business and tried to get better every day. And, you know, a couple of unfortunate situations with Grant gave me the opportunity to play and, and, uh, you know, the organization had enough confidence in me to, to make the transition and, uh, you know, to spend almost 10 full years here, um, you know, I'll never forget it. I, I did want to ask uh, any memorable moments uh, that really still stick to you to this day uh, in that 1990 Stanley Cup run and your consummate victory. Is there anything that kind of jumped out in the, in the four rounds that you had to go through? I think the early struggle against Winnipeg it was pretty special what John Muckler did we got blown out against Winnipeg and and uh, the next day Muckler put a, a video montage together of me making saves and basically said you're our guy win or lose that, that, really? that you're playing and and that kind of 
gave me a little bit of a boost that, you know what, I got to, I got to buckle down here and, and, um, you know, cause I was pretty down yep. and then you see yourself what you've accomplished that particular okay. year in a situation where going into the season, you don't even expect to play. And then I played, I think 66 or 67 games that year when Fierzy went down. Like I said, like anything, it's the emotional roller coaster up and down. I, I tried not to have the pressure get to me that, you know, the disappointment of, of the game and, and just uh, kind of start over and, and think positively and, and just let things happen. The, the media was hard on me. Uh, Slats came in, pulled me from the scrum, said you, he answered your question is done. And it was my, my thing was to prove the media wrong. That's all I wanted to do. I wanted to prove them wrong. And that was the thing that drove me. I, I think most of my career, the way when I look back on my my career, it, it was always the thing that drove me the most. I think every time I stepped on the ice was not to embarrass myself, you know, and 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 have the respect of the league, and that's the thing that drove me the most. And I wanted to prove the media wrong. And we all know what it's like to play in Canada. You've got everybody's watching. It's they live and breathe hockey. Uh, especially uh, in Canada, a small market like Edmonton, you know, the fans the, are unbelievable here, but you're in a small market and they live and breathe their hockey. So it was, that was kind of the thing that pushed me. Have you had some moments throughout your coaching career where you've leaned back on some of those experiences and given that advice, personal stories? 100%. I mean, that's, that's the one thing that I can bring to an organization. I've played at the top level internationally and in the NHL and I can bring that experience I've I've lived it doesn't always necessarily transition into coaching but I've lived it I've I've gone through tough times I've gone through great times and I have used it not a lot but I have used stories just to try and give our goalies relief that you know I know what you I know what you're going through I'm not this coach is just coming down on you coming down on you and and when things are tough I try and go back to you know what I did go back to the basics and that was Bill Ranford and Kate a pretty funny maybe a little embarrassing story about that is uh, right after that I quickly asked him for a photo because my dad was a huge and I mean huge Bill Ranford fan uh, because when uh, my dad came to Canada in 1981, he got to witness all the glory years and then all of a sudden fell in love with this netminder that the Oilers acquired late in the 80s and then helping them win the Stanley Cup and winning the Consumite Trophy in 1990. So I quickly asked Bill Ranford for a photo, and I remember my dad's expression uh, when he saw that photo. He couldn't believe it. He's like, are you kidding me? You met him? You didn't get an autograph for me? And I'm like, Dad, I couldn't really take it that far, but I want to at least get a photo and uh, and and show my dad because I knew it would make him happy. Uh, but like you said, Kate, so gracious with his time and, and uh, just uh, couldn't be more thankful for Bill stopping by. Do we put that on the top of the list for best of the alumni, the unfiltered raw alumni? Oh, I think so. I mean, just I don't know. the amount of stories that he shared. I mean, Oil Country, if you haven't listened to the Bill Ranford podcast yet, don't get me wrong. You want to listen to all of the ones that we mentioned, but Bill Ranford was definitely up there. I mean, just super candid. Like, it was incredible, Kate. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed all of them. And, and I'm enjoying this, you know. We're in a tough time in the world and a lot of unknowns, but we are, as you mentioned, freestyling from home. I'm in the kitchen. You're in bed. 
I was recording from the closet earlier today. It's just whatever works. And you know what? I think that's kind of fun. It's It's been fun to look online and see, you know, I've seen national newscasts being done out of people's kitchens. Yeah. They bring the equipment home and they make it work. And so I think it's pretty incredible how other sports reporters and even just news people, anyone in the digital world, in the television world, everyone's getting creative. Gene Principe did a live yesterday from his house. Yep. I mean, it's pretty cool what people are still able to do with the technology that we have. So I'm pretty excited to continue pushing the boundaries of content over these next few weeks as we all wait for hockey. We all want hockey. Yeah, of course. Uh, we're all missing hockey, uh, but uh, also the amount of content that we have planned and lined up for EdmontonOrthers.com and Orthers TV. Uh, super excited about all of it, uh, including a NHL simulation of the Battle of Alberta. You won't want to miss that. That's up on EdmontonOrthers.com, so check it out if you haven't. Uh, but like you said, Kate, obviously challenging times in terms of uh, making sure that we all take the right uh, steps in, to- uh, in getting better and getting healthy and, and staying safe. But uh, also it, it does present uh, a time of opportunity for a lot of people. Like we said last week, uh, you're working out, I'm working out. Uh, uh, we're still kind of getting around things. So uh, while safe and health is uh, the priority in oil country, that doesn't mean that you can't have a little fun uh, within the confines of your home as well. Well, I know two little munchkins who are about to have a lot of fun running around. Parker and Wayne, they're scaring me. They're snoozy right now, but it is far too early for that. So I'm going to wrap this up and go play for a bit, try to tire them out. Absolutely. And uh, Oil Country, you won't want to miss part three of the three-part mini-series, if we want to call it that, of the best ofs featuring special guests like Brett Kissel, who was a fantastic uh, I don't even know if we can say it in an interview. I guess a podcast guest, a fantastic podcast guest uh, for us on Oilers In-Depth. For Wayne, Parker, and Kate, I'm Tony Brar signing off for this edition of Oilers In-Depth, the podcast. <laughs>